Hey everybody, it's Jason. Welcome or welcome back to the Mosaic Church Podcast. At the end of this podcast, please take a moment to connect with us on social media. It's a great place to learn more and to see what's happening at Mosaic. Most importantly, hope the following message encourages and inspires you to take a new step on your faith journey. Enjoy. Well, I have the uh, special honor and privilege of introducing our speaker for today. We are launching our brand new series called Hidden Figures. Now, Hidden Figures is an amazing series. We're looking and exploring the women in the genealogy of Jesus, the ones who've come before him, as well as this amazing story of how Jesus impacted and transformed a culture and sent women into ministry. This is an amazing series. I'm so excited to do this. And not only this week for the series coming, we're going to be talking with and celebrating the different aspects that God is doing amazing things through women, both here in Washington County and throughout the world. And uh, there's no better way to launch this series than to have the amazing Dawn John Kelsey come up and share today. Now Dawn, if you're new today, she's our worship leader. She leads us in worship every single week. And I cannot do this justice. It can only be done by her. So would you please welcome to this uh, stage, I guess we'd call it Welcome to the stage with me, the amazing Don Jankowski. So yesterday, I had breakfast with my best friend, which doesn't seem like it should be a life-changing event, right? Um, she lives in Waukesha, so she was really excited when we moved uh, to Wisconsin. She thought, we're, we're going to be closer. Um, but between the two of us, we have such busy schedules that uh, I think I might have seen her more when I lived in North Carolina. Uh, sometimes feel like we're going to be saying, well, I'm busy this week, but next week should clear up to each other for the rest of our lives, right? Um, for me, I have to live and die by a schedule, calendar, reminders in my phone, deadlines to get anything done, because I have a lot of things on my plate. I know I'm not the only one. When we lived in North Carolina, I even had a reminder on my phone to go off every Sunday afternoon right around the time I was getting in my car to drive back to church for youth group to call my grandfather. Um, The weekends were slower times for him. Uh, He lived at home. He was homebound uh, with my grandmother who has has dementia. And on weekends, he didn't really have visits from nurses or chaplains, and there wasn't a whole lot of anyone around for him to have conversation with. So I would... I would call him on Sunday afternoons and we'd catch up. He didn't necessarily talk much. I think our phone calls were eight to 10 minutes long usually. Um, But he liked hearing about what was going on in my life. He'd ask about my husband. He'd ask about my dogs. You want me to talk for a good long time, ask me about my dogs, I'll pull out my phone and start showing you pictures. (laughs) Uh, But this past summer, our tenure at the church in North Carolina came to an end and You'd think that would free up more time, right? Because we're not going back and forth there. But I think in reality, our schedule got even more bonkers. Sometimes it was traveling. We were driving across North Carolina or we were flying to Maryland. And then we were flying to Maryland again for a different church uh, for a lot of interviews and things like that. Um, One weekend, I was invited out to the beach with a bunch of girlfriends. And who's going to say no to the beach? Not this girl. Um, Another weekend, we had to trade in Nick's truck for something that could actually drive in the snow. Uh, Then we were here to house hunt, and then we were moving, and then we were here. The last time I talked to him was probably about two or three weeks before we moved. We unloaded our truck on September 28th, 
and he passed away on October 1st. I'm really grateful for all the time that I did, I did have with him. I have a lot of great memories of my grandfather. I have a lot of good memories of talking to him on the phone, even, um, during those three years that we were in North Carolina. But there's a lot of phone calls I missed that I'm never going to get back because I was focused on so many other things. And I bet I'm not the only one in the room this morning who has regrets about missing something or forgetting something important because I was busy doing too many other things. And we live in a world that is full of so many distractions. I left my phone with my husband so I wouldn't be distracted by it buzzing while I'm trying to talk. Um, we're pulled in so many different ways. I mean, parents, I don't know how y'all do it. Like, I can barely get myself out of bed and ready in the mornings. You get yourself, you get your kids out the door, you know, clothed mostly, right? Um, you got, you got you, their homework is done, their bags are packed, they've got lunches or lunch money. You know, you're, you're running around to ski meets and band concerts and play dates. God bless y'all. Um, teenagers, you've got school, you've got sports, maybe you've got band maybe a part-time job, you're figuring out what you're gonna do after high school, are you gonna go to college, are you gonna go to a trade school, are you gonna go work, are you gonna go into the military? Plus all the social pressures of just being a teenager. And it doesn't stop when you hit college or career years. You've got networking, you're maneuvering dating relationships, you're either getting into one, trying to figure out how to stay in one, or maybe trying to figure out how to get out of one. Been there. Uh, you've got a job, maybe. You're, maybe you're paying bills for the first time. You're balance, trying to balance your social life with classes and career and other responsibilities. And I have it on good authority from both my father and my father-in-law that now that they're retired, they somehow managed to get busier. They've looked at me and said, I don't know how I used to do it all, all the time. I'm so busy. So even they don't have the spare time that they thought they would. And let's have, ladies, let's have a little real talk right now. This whole being busy thing feels especially true for us women, right? We have additional pressure from society to have that Instagram perfect life. We've got the coordinated kids and the home-cooked meals and the clean house and the folded laundry and the baked goodies for fundraisers and PTA. We've got regular church attendance maybe. We've got a full-time job, volunteer work, uh, all while we're trying to work out for an hour or two so we can do all this and fit in the right size pair of jeans. Can I get an amen? Amen. amen. I heard you. <laughs> But y'all, it doesn't matter if you're female or male. We all have those moments where in the midst of doing all the things, we've forgotten something crucial or we've lost focus on what's important. I don't only do this with my grandfather. I do this with God sometimes too. I get so caught up in doing all the things that I miss out on the one most important thing, spending time with Jesus. I'd hazard a good guess that I'm also not the only one in the room this morning who's done that. But guess what? Good news, this is not new, okay? This isn't something that only we struggle with now in our digital age with our cell phones and our Apple Watches and our Fitbits and everything that's pulling at our attention. People in the Bible struggled with this too. And they even struggled with it when Jesus was right there in front of them in person. 
this very human tendency to be distracted by all the things, and yes, it is in caps in my notes, <laughs> is perfectly exemplified in the story of Mary and Martha, and that's in Luke 10, 38 through 42. If you have a Bible or your Bible app, you can go ahead and turn there. There are also Bibles under the seats. Uh, you can feel free to use that for this service, even take one home with you if you'd like. Uh, but while you're turning there, I'm going to set the stage a little bit. Hospitality was a highly valued and widely practiced custom in Jesus' day. I don't mean just being nice to your friends and you know, wiping up the bathroom sink and kicking the Legos under the couch so that your house looks presentable, right? Hosts were expected in those days to provide food, shelter, amenities, and protection to any traveler who knocked on their door. Now, today if a stranger knocks on my door, there is no way I'm letting them in. Okay? I don't even answer the phone if I don't recognize the number. But in Jesus' day, that level of hospitality was expected. And it was a horrible slight if you did not provide that to your guests. So you've got Martha, and she's got Jesus, and I don't know, we don't know the exact number, 12 to maybe 70 or more of his closest friends showing up at her door. And it meant a lot of meal prep. There's no running water, no microwaves in Bethany. Um, and she had to make sure that every need was attended to. Uh, and when it's Jesus, I have to imagine that maybe she'd feel a bit of pride at serving the Messiah, the best of what she had. But also, it had to be pretty stressful. Let's take a look. As Jesus and the disciples continued on their way to Jerusalem, they came to a certain village where a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. Her sister Mary sat at the Lord's feet, listening to what he taught. But Martha was distracted by the big dinner she was preparing. She came to Jesus and said, Lord, doesn't it seem unfair to you that my sister just sits here while I do all the work? Tell her to come and help me. Okay, first, homegirl has my respect. Because uh, she sees Jesus coming and she intentionally invites him into her home knowing the type of hospitality she's going to have to provide. I mean, over the holidays, we had, I don't know, maybe about 20-some people of all ages in our condo all at once, and it was fun. We had a blast. But it was also a lot of work. There was baking, there was cleaning, rearranging the furniture, bringing more chairs up from our storage unit, unpacking that one random box that always seems to hang around after a move. Anybody who's moved recently is sitting there nodding. Yep, some of you might still have that box. No judgment. Uh, and we had a whole week to prepare. I don't know how much notice Martha had, but since it's not like Jesus could at her on Twitter and say, I'm going to be in hashtag Bethany next week, can I crash at your pad? Um, you have to imagine that she did not have a lot of advance warning. I kind of want Jesus to tweet me now, I'm not going to lie. <laughs> uh, second, anyone in this room who has a sibling can identify with Martha right here. There you are working your butt off while your sister or brother just sits on theirs, and the first thing you do is you turn to your mom and you say what? It's not fair. Um, you guys know what I'm talking about. <laughs> of course, I'm the little sister, so I normally had this said about me. There are a lot of times that all of us, men and women, all ages, have that it's not fair moment with Jesus and demand that he do something. 
It's not fair that she has cancer. It's not fair that he lost his job. It's not fair that they can't have children. It's not fair that someone died in a helicopter crash or a school shooting or because of drunk driving. It's not fair. Jesus, do something. I've prayed that exact same prayer, and I've been that stubborn. Several times this past week, in fact, Jesus, it's not fair. Do something. But you notice what Jesus says in return. We'll take a look. Verse 41 and 42. But the Lord said to her, My dear Martha, you are worried and upset over all these details. There is only one thing worth being concerned about. Mary has discovered it, and it will not be taken away from her. First, I want you to see what this is not. It's not a scolding for Martha for wanting to provide exceptional hospitality for her guests. We're going we're gonna, to, despite the fact that calling her sister out in front of everyone and commanding her guest, Jesus, to make Mary do something was a little rude back in that day and even today, right? But it's also not diminishing Martha's value as a woman either. In fact, this whole story is a beautiful example of exactly how Jesus honored women. He doesn't dismiss Mary back to the kitchen with Martha. Um, instead, he welcomes her and honors her for choosing to sit at his feet and listen. And even in his response to Martha, Jesus doesn't diminish the importance of, of what Martha is doing because her role is good and necessary. I mean, come on, dude's got to eat, right? Martha was busy caring for her guests in a way that exemplified ideal hospitality. She was doing all the things. And there's nothing inherently wrong with doing all the things. And Martha was definitely doing all the things. The problem is that in doing all the things, Martha was missing the one thing. So let's look again at what Mary was doing. It says, Her sister Mary sat at the Lord's feet, listening to what he taught. Here's what's interesting about that. While Martha is busy with the many tasks of hospitality, which was the traditional female role of the time, right? Mary sits at Jesus' feet to receive his teaching, which was actually a more traditionally male role. From Martha's point of view, Mary is neglecting her role of hospitality, leaving everything for Martha to do. Mary's actions are more societally, societally abnormal than Martha's. There's nothing wrong with doing, and there's nothing wrong with listening either. We can't be all doing all the time. We have to have balance between that and listening to Jesus' words. Um, I'm going to ask if anybody's ever seen this meme before. I think I feel a couple amens coming from the ladies, right? <laughs> right? Right? My wife says, you're not even listening to me, are you? And I said, that's a weird way to start a conversation. On average... People spend 70 to 80% of their day engaged in some form of communication. 
but they actually only spend 55% of their time devoted to listening. And even though our ears can pick up on about 450 words per minute, if I did that, this sermon would be over a lot faster, <laughs> but you wouldn't retain anything. <laughs> even though our ears can pick up about 450 words a minute, our brains don't necessarily process them all. In fact, the average person only remembers 17 to 25% of what they listen to. And men use only half their brain when they listen, while women engage both lobes. So, sorry guys, stereotypes, kind of true. God has a lot to say about listening. In Jeremiah 33, 3, he says, Call to me, and I will answer you, and I will tell you great and hidden things that you have not known. Listening to God is not just waiting around to receive. It's actually an active exercise. It's not about doing nothing, but it's definitely about doing one thing. In John 10, 27, he says, My sheep listen to my voice. I know them, and they follow me. Here's something interesting that I learned. In the West, we're used to the idea of that all-American cowboy, right? The rough and tough guy in the boots and the jeans and the flannel and the hat. And no, I'm not talking about the guy I'm married to. <laughs> uh, I'm talking about the guy on the horseback, right? He's driving the herds. He might have a dog that's running around, nipping at, at ankles and barking, getting the sheep to where they need to go. Sheep are really dumb. They need a lot of guidance to get where they're supposed to be might be why God compares us to sheep a lot. I'm just saying. <laughs> but in, in the East, shepherds were different. They didn't drive from behind. They lived with their sheep night and day. They knew each sheep by name. They knew their tendencies and their preferences. They knew that cotton was more likely than snowball to wander, wander off into a ditch somewhere. And because of this constant interaction the sheep recognized the shepherd's voice, and only their shepherd's voice. He would walk ahead of them to assess the terrain and safety and call them to follow, and they would because they were listening. I'm more like a Western sheep when I listen to God. Sometimes he's got to come up behind me and kick me in the right direction, right? Because I'm not always listening to his voice. I am sometimes really bad at listening to God. I'm great at telling him all the things that are unfair. I'm excellent at letting him know what's going on down here, just in case he's not aware, just in case he's sitting up there like, hey, Gabriel, how come nobody told me this was going on? Did I, did I miss that memo coming across my desk? What I'm bad at is making the space to listen to what God is trying to tell me. Because I am too busy doing all the things to do the one thing, which is spend time with Jesus. Like we said earlier, there's nothing wrong with doing things. Martha is serving Jesus and his disciples as was her acceptable and necessary role in that day. It's good and it's valuable to serve others. But service can also be a distraction 
when the busyness takes precedence over God. Let me say that again. Service can also be a distraction when the busyness takes precedence over God. When Jesus remarks on Martha's worry over all the things, he's not telling her that she shouldn't be hospitable. He's not devaluing her as a woman or the work she's doing. He's remarking instead on where her focus is. Martha's serving in that moment wasn't coming out of grace. It was coming out of a place of anxiety. It could have been anything. It could have been hoping the meat was cooked, calculating whether she'd have enough bread, making sure the table was set, making sure that her home and her serving didn't reflect poorly on her or her family. But this anxiety, whatever it was, was blinding her to the one thing that she really needed to be doing in that moment, which was listening to Jesus. Jesus isn't saying that sitting is better than doing. Both listening and acting are appropriate behaviors and responses for believers. It's about setting the right priorities. So what does listening to God look like? How do we do it? Last week, I was back down in North Carolina for my job uh, and had the chance to catch up with a lot of friends and colleagues. And if y'all have known me for longer than five minutes, you know I love to talk. It is getting me to shut up that's the trick. So it was so tempting to spend the whole time talking about my new life in the frozen tundras of Wisconsin. Beer, cheese, rabid Packer fans, so much snow. Did I mention how freaking cold it is? But it was equally important that I listen to what was going on in their lives. And we do that with our friends by asking questions and making space for them to answer. And the same is true with God. The scriptures tell us that we can be confident that God is listening to us. In 1 John 5.14, it says, This is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. In John 9.31, he says, But if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. And in 1 Peter 3.12, For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. So we know God listens to us. Our challenge now is to make space for him to answer. It's crucial in our relationship with Jesus to make time to set aside all the things that we are busy doing and just sit at his feet. I know you're probably wondering, how the heck do I do this? Jesus isn't here for me to physically pop down at his feet, right? Wish he was. It would make life a lot easier. Instead, this week, I'm going to challenge each of us to make intentional space for Jesus and just spend some time with him. You might already be doing this, and if you're already doing this on a regular basis, that's awesome. I encourage you to keep making space and keep listening because God is speaking to us all the time. We just need to slow down and listen. If you're not 
already doing this and you're looking for a place to start, find a short couple minute block where you can sit in silence and just be in Jesus' presence. Maybe it's sitting in your car after you pull into work or right before you drive home. Maybe it's just as you sit down at your desk in the morning or at the beginning of study hall. Might even be in your room before bedtime or when you first wake up. Heck, put a reminder on your phone like I did to call my grandfather. I know that quieting our minds is hard, especially in this day and age. It's hard to slow down. In fact, it's almost countercultural. I struggle with it too. I'm doing something almost constantly. Ask my husband. Sometimes I'm doing two things at once. And sitting in silence for a few minutes for me seems to only get my mind going on all the things that my human tendency is telling me I should be doing instead. So if you're looking for some tips on how to slow down and how to quiet, try using some focused breathing or repeat a scripture. One of my personal favorites, uh, we experienced this back in May at a conference we attended, um, is repeating Psalm 46.10, Be still and know that I am God, as a simplifying prayer. And what I mean by that is you repeat it and you pare back word by word as you go and focus on the statement. Be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that I am. Be still and know that I. Be still and know that. Be still and know. Be still and be still. Be. You might feel like your stretch of silence was a waste of time. It's not. Silence is not an empty space. It's creating fertile ground for intimacy with God. Because the goal of listening isn't just information. When we listen to Jesus, we experience transformation. We listen to be like him. We listen to hear what he has specifically for each of us. And we listen because as disciples, women, and men, it's an honor to sit at Jesus' feet and hear his voice. Once again, thank you so much for listening. If you live in Southeast Wisconsin, we'd love to connect with you at our weekend gathering for service time, directions, and to learn more about our vision to ignite a movement of love that transforms our community and the world. Visit us at mosaicwi.com.